and welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage, the one and only Mr. Steve Herzig, and it's not the bobblehead, Steve, Steve Herzig. <laughs> it's the real McCoy, but I have a question. How is it that we're called the Jew and the Gentile podcast? When you're the one who hosts it, it should be the Gentile and the Jew. No, because there you're is... the one, you're saying, hello, everybody, this is Chris Katolka. I'm the Gentile. Listen, this is the thing. Hold on a minute. Hold on. Before we get to the, my reason why. Hold on. Here we go. Welcome in. Welcome in. The reason it's the Jew and Gentile is because there is in the Bible, we're looking at the Bible from a Don't Jewish quote perspective. Me Romans 1 16. No, okay, I'll go to Romans 1 16, but I'll also say there will be a day when I grab onto the hem of a Jewish man and say, Take me to Jerusalem. Okay, so there you go. It's the Jew and Gentile podcast. I, I just, I was thinking as you're talking, you're the Gentile, you're the host. It should be, hi, I'm the Gentile, and here's the Jew. Well, last time I talked like that, you told me that I was a little, uh, what was it? I was a little sad. The clumped? You're like, are you okay when I came in? Because I was tired one day. Ah. If, see, if I came in like you, you'd get, you'd say, are you okay? You yeah. see, just because. Is anything okay? Is, <laughs> don't we have that uh, recorded? Oh, we do. It's been a while since we've done some of yeah. these. Zygazun. Live and be well. That's one. Hang on. Ay, 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 That's another ay, good one. Ay, Here's the one. Is anything okay? <laughs> <laughs> we got to bring those back. Yeah, we got to bring them back. We got to bring them back. Hey, everybody. But I do have me seated behind me. And I have to tell you, people, I immediately after our podcast. You're going to have to explain yourself to our listeners when you say, I have me seated behind uh, me. Uh, okay, let me reach over here and bring out me, the bobblehead. There you go. Uh, I, that was a very nice gift that you gave. You sent a picture to some company. And uh, ask that it be dressed in our rabbi's outfit. So I have a talit and a Torah. And it's a bobblehead. And uh, I went around our building afterwards showing people. And they were there were oohs and ahs. And one lady wanted one for her husband. Yep. What, so it went. they loved it. So we went online uh, to look for these and found out you could get couples you could get graduation. You could get surfing, golfing, whatever you whatever want. You want. Mm -hmm. So just to let our listeners know, we are ordering one of the Gentiles as right. well. So <laughs> we are going to, uh, in a future podcast, once that comes, we probably won't even be here. We'll mouth from some other place and have the bobbleheads <laughs> talk to each other. That's that to be a great 100th episode where it's just them talking. That would be hilarious. Bye 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 bye. There uh, you go. Yeah 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 yeah. All right, so Steve, uh, before we get started, I found this very interesting article that came across uh, my desk, or better yet, through my feed, um, and the article. Uh, th that got me was number one, you know, I'm an American Airlines guy. You fly a lot. I fly a lot. I think you're a million mile flyer. I am a million mile flyer. You, you have that and five bucks at Starbucks will get you a cup of coffee. That's right. But you also are perpetually in gold status now, right? Yes. Because of your time that you've invested in traveling the country. They give you a little something. Yeah, a little boost there. Uh, okay. A little boost. See, I can still lose it all. So, but I'm an American, you're a United guy. I'm an American Airlines guy. So I always like to keep up with what's going on in American Airlines. And uh, I, I, I came across this uh, 
this article that is titled American Airlines A321, which is the type of plane, an, uh, an Airbus plane. Captain greets passengers wearing tefillin. Tefillin. Nice. Okay, so this is, uh, these people are boarding the plane. I think there's a Jewish family that wants to daven. And maybe you can explain what daven is. I will, but in fact, uh, probably some of our listeners have been to Israel. And if they've been to Israel, traveling there, especially on LL, but if it's not LL, if it's United or American, uh, the very Hasidic Jews have to pray no matter what three times a day, and when the sun comes up, and it's crazy when you're traveling. You know, I don't know how many Christians do their devotions on an overnight flight, Uh, (laughs) but I can tell you that if you're a very religious, ultra-Orthodox person, you are unashamed of your identity. You're going to get up, you're going to walk to the back of the plane, and while you're walking, you're going to spot other Jewish people because of the unique dress that ultra-Orthodox have, and say, Point to the back, mm-hmm. and you need 10 for a minion, and they're going to pray in the air at 30,000 feet, and they are not going to care who sees them. They are not ashamed to do that. Davening is praying. So when they're getting on the plane, they say uh, the, a big, uh, uh, with enthusiasm, we have a Jewish captain of the plane. And the writer ah, says, Ah, Macher, uh, a big shot, a, a pilot. The pilot. My son, the pilot. Couldn't be a doctor, <laughs> but at least he's a pilot. <laughs> uh, so it says, of course, the job of the captain is to fly the plane, and religion really does not matter. And look, at anytime I get on a plane, Steve, I'm praying. I mean, I am used to flying, but I have a routine. I sit in my seat. And as soon as the engines, you know how they crank the engines and you feel yourself push back into your seat? That's when I start praying, Lord, bring me home to my family safely. And I have, I say, it's just a prayer that I say, you know, the plane could go down. You know, that's God's timing. Karen just wants to know if you're insured. <laughs> that's right. Well, I am. Okay. I, I just have to make sure she knows where to find the information. But anyway, it says, but so for me, as a captain, that's the best place to be. Everyone will become religious when that plane is heading down. Anyway, he uh, it says the religion does not matter. At the same time, you might have expected the captain to back up the flight attendants on board, but instead it appears as if he pushes back and uses his teachable moment to help them understand the centrality of these rituals for this passenger. So the captain steps up instead of saying, move on, people. He says, I'm going to teach you what these uh, these things mean. Of course, he realized, realizing he's Jewish, uh, I asked him to put on tefillin, and he said, I can, I got to fly the plane. And then he went back to the cabin, the plane landed, and I jumped up so that I could be the first to the door, and I knew the captain would be standing there to say goodbye to everyone. And that's when he put on tefillin, and he did the whole shebang. So the captain wore tefillin. That's a great thing. Uh, and tefillin means to pray. It's a pr- yeah. It's an actual... Uh, component of prayer. It's an uh, tefillin is what you wear when you're praying. Phylacteries in the New Testament. That, they're translated as. That's right. But in 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 the Psalms, for instance, in uh, in Hebrew is tefillin essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it's to pray. And so that's what they do. They were praying, and they were. Uh, it's usually giving thanks to God for choosing them as a people. For give it, for being the creator of all things, those kind of prayers. So anyway, I thought that was an interesting. I was on component. a trip to Israel and waiting in the in Newark. They, it's an extra security mode that they have. Uh, you're by the gate, but then they put a a like a 
partition that you have to go through so they check again. They've checked you to get in, but this is now the Israelis who are checking you again. And so while we're waiting, a guy comes over to me and says, hey, we need a tenth for a minion. I said, uh, he said, um, you're Jewish, right? I said, well, yeah, and I wanted to explain. <laughs> Good enough. Here's the, here's the Siddur. Go to it. So there I am with our people. We're just starting our trip. And I started off by being part of a minion. And they're all thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. What am, I, am, I, go- yeah. What am I going with this guy? Is he Jewish? What's he doing? Uh, anyway, very Is anything okay? <laughs> well, listen, uh, we've got a great show. But before we get started, I want to remind you that the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. And if you're not familiar with FOI Equip, it's actually very easy to become familiar because all you got to do is go to foiequip.org, and it's going to be your opportunity to learn the Bible from a Jewish perspective. We have live online classes. In fact, tonight, Steve, we have our first online class for the month of July. I am excited about the uh, heroes of church history. That's right. The heroes of church history. You know, uh, growing up, we had Jewish history. Uh, when I went to Hebrew school, we had textbooks about Jewish history. And in Jewish history is a topic of church history. Oh, really? In Jewish history, because the church, they don't have a great track record. I'm talking about the organized church. So mm-hmm. I learned young that people who followed Christ were not nice to Jewish people. They weren't nice. Yeah. Uh that's what I thought, and that's what a lot of Jewish people think, and it is part of church history to have—it's uh, uh, a blemish on church history, mm-hmm. because they lump it together with uh, the religiosity of the church, not just those who believe in the Bible. And so there's a great deal of persecution. But the topics we're going to have for the next three weeks are going to talk about things relating to the doctrine of the church and how it got ironed out. And and Tim Harrison just does a great job. He's he's done a couple of uh, lessons for us at our chapel, very short, 15-minute. And in fact, as a result of those, we've asked him to expand it a little. And so I think people will be in for a treat. He's a fantastic teacher. And again, I can't stress the importance of this because I think a lot of times we think the church, you know, the modern church that we have, it, it, it just kind of popped up out of nowhere. <laughs> But it didn't. It, it's built on a history. And like you said, some of that history can be very ugly, especially in the way that the church treated Israel, it treated the, it treated the Jewish people. But at the same time, there is components of the, the history of our faith, our Christian faith, uh, of God preserving the gospel all throughout church history. And that's what Tim's going to be talking about. That's why he's talking about the heroes of our faith, uh, the, of church history, because these are the ones who helped establish core doctrines uh, and, and in order to kind of f- uh, to fend off those uh, people that were trying to corrupt the the gospel, essentially, and so a lot of the orthodox gospel that uh, orthodox doctrines that we believe in, um, are, why are we believe what we believe. That's exactly right, and and that's why it's important. And Tim does a great job. And so Tim's going to be teaching that uh, tonight on FOI Equip, and then in August they can register. Yeah, what you they, can go. It's, it's not too late. No, you can go to foiequip.org tonight, and you can register for the class. And if you can't because make, it's 
Free, 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 free. It is all free. You, you can't beat the deal. So you can come to the class. And hey, look, if you can't make it tonight, Zygazunt. Zygazunt. That's, that's recorded. Right. You can you can come. You can or you can log on to YouTube next week, and boom, it will be there. Uh, but then also uh, in August, our very own uh, church ministries representative Paul Scharf is going to be teaching patriarchs. And presidents, how America that has blessed is a Israel. Great title, I love that title. And Paul does a great job. Again, he did some of those things for us at our chapel. You know, chapel's a good fertile ground, so we can nab people who we think our listeners would really like to hear. Yep. And uh, hey, and for Tim's class, just so that our people can know, we're, this isn't some this isn't some small you know event we're putting on. There are four hundred and thirteen people who registered for Tim's class. So. Hey, we want to see you. Uh, you can still register. It's unlimited. There's no, we're not going to stop you. So come on out, register for FOI Equip. And, you know, next week, I want to talk more about other components to FOI Equip because it's not just the classes. Oh, Steve, it's getting involved in Encounter. It's getting trained in Jewish ministry on in bridges. It's going to Israel with us on Origins or Hesed. There are so many ways that you can get involved. You can find all that out at foiequip.org. Hey, we, got, we made the news. Our Origins trip made the That's news. Right. Our, they our, took off uh, to come back home. <laughs> there was a broken window, and they turned around and landed, and they had to wait until they got another plane to fly back home. That it would scare the daylight. The See, that's the, the bad news. Do you think is there was a broken window? The good news: they discovered it before any trouble, any service. They got back, and they're home safe. You think those people became religious on the flight? I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> that window Somebody cracked. probably said, could I borrow some to fill in here? <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> well, you know what? Uh, people, we've been talking about afterlife, and people think about the afterlife, Steve. And it's very interesting how in when it comes to the afterlife, people just make up things, you know, based on a personal gut feeling, which I don't always want to trust my gut. And so especially with the kind of food I eat. So, you know, the, the the reality is, is we've been looking at what the Jewish thoughts have been on the afterlife, and so we've moved to another one here. We have. And I thought maybe you could pick and up. Again, this is from Moment Magazine, and they were asking the question to various scholars, writers, professors, uh, is there life after death, Jewish thinking on afterlife? It's by Amy Schwartz. She compiled this. And this particular one is by Sherman Newland, who's a retired professor of surgery. This guy is a mm -hmm. very smart He's not a pilot. Uh, no, he's a real doctor, a doctor, finally. Uh, he teaches bioethics, medical history at Yale University. And here's his take on the afterlife, and it's titled, Love is Immortal. He says, to me... The afterlife consists of the memories that we leave in the minds and hearts of the people we love. Obviously, we all want to leave a heritage for the world, but it's given to very few of us to do that. But what one has been to one's spouse and one's children, and perhaps one's students, carries through to countless generations. I don't believe in immortality, except in that sense. My sense of religion has to do with community and continuity, with going to synagogue and identifying publicly with the Jewish people. Continuity doesn't mean some shadowy figure of your individual self goes on. It means your work and your love go on. Nature's cyclical. Just look, in the last few months, all the green stuff has come out. Birds are chirping. Everything is renewed. Nature's in an environment in which we die. 
so others may live, so that our civilization can expand, so new ideas and experience can be promulgated. Why should human beings be an exception to all other biological phenomena? So, Chris, here is a retired professor, a surgeon, a doctor. Uh, he says, ah, when you're dead, you're dead. Yeah. The good news is if you've made an impact in people's lives, they'll remember you. Uh, and that's what you hope for. Uh, boy, I just think the Bible has a serious problem. There's a there's a Harvard professor of theology that I like to read. Um, Levinson is uh, is his name, and a uh, brilliant, brilliant man. And he talks about resurrection, and he is proving that resurrection is a lot of times what scholars will do with resurrection, which is what we believe. Um, is that bodily, physical, physical resurrection. resurrection? Your body is dead, and it comes rising out of the grave, just like Jesus's did. That is a very Old Testament mentality. Uh, uh, it's what the prophets had promised. But yeah, a lot of scholars will say that was in the prophets that were writing later on in Israel's history. You don't see resurrection in the Torah. Um, or even some of Israel's history. You don't see it there. You don't see it until you get—some of them even argue until you get to uh, the time period leading up to Jesus. So very close to Jesus's time is when this theology of resurrection is being developed. And Levinson was arguing, uh, no, that's not the case. There's a there's a understanding that God can bring anything to life, uh, and going back to, you know, uh, Isaac's birth, you know, the idea that God is the giver of life. And he can create life. So, in its most proto form, the resurrection is seen in the Torah. And we know that the, not all Jews believed in resurrection because the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection That's right. because they only read the Torah. They didn't read the prophets or the writings. And so that again, there's that mentality. But ultimately, Levinson makes a great argument: there is resurrection in the Torah and in the earliest parts of Israel's history. And the reason I'm saying this is because in his book, he also mentions that there is a sense that your name, when you die, your name does live on, and you want it to live on in people, and that is some way of uh, of giving um, the, 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 how can I put this? You remember that person's name, and uh, and it goes on, and you want to remember the things about them, and in, for the, and in doing so, they live longer, essentially. It's not resurrection. It's totally different, and that's what this guy is talking about. And I just want to say it like this. You know, when when you see Simon uh, or Peter, his name in, in Hebrew is Simon Bar-Jonah. And we, this is very important because being connected to your ancestry is important. And Simon, Peter, Simon Bar-Jonah, it means Simon, the son of Jonah. And so there's this lineage that you have, and you're remembering all those names. A lineage was important because you're remembering almost every name of the people that are in your family. We don't think much about lineage that much. With Ancestry.com, I think we've changed a lot of that. I'm interested, but my parents never talked about lineage. I don't even think they knew. I didn't know who my great-grandfather was. I knew who my grandfather was. He never talked about his dad. What does that say about us in the modern culture? That is an interesting perspective. Ancestry has helped. Uh, I know that uh, with my own family, because of the Holocaust, there's nothing much back further than my uh, grandparents who got here before World War II. They got here at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, but Alice and I did go back uh, to Warsaw for, on my father's side and indeed found some information about the person I was named after 
who died in uh, Schnadova, the town, when the Nazis came in mm. and killed her. So it, believe it or not, I was named after my great-grandmother, uh, whose name was Sarah, and they took, they took her first name, which is a custom, and they, since I'm the a boy, they took S, and my English name is Stephen. So I'm named after her, and I was able to go back and actually see not much is left, but there's a history. And uh, we don't really care about I'm talking we as Americans. Yeah, we're in, so individualized. And we cut off. I, I really do think my father, I mean, my grandfather um, cut off that history. I don't think they talked about Poland. In fact, when, when that's where our, my dad's side of the family is from, is from Poland. And it's funny because when, when I would go over for dinner as a kid, I'd say, where, where are we from? And my grandfather would say, well, it all depends on what we're having for dinner tonight. He goes, we're either Hungarian or we're uh, um, uh, Ukrainian or Polish. All, like we're all those areas were once a bigger Melting empire. pot. Yep. And so, you know, but he didn't ever define, oh, this is what my grand... I had to find... I found out myself uh, that he left from Poland. I don't know why, but his whole family came over uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And I had to find my great-grandfather because everybody else came through Ellis Island. He was the only one, for some reason, on a boat from Amsterdam down to Baltimore. I, why did he—I had to find him in Baltimore. There's so, always another way. I, and I always think to myself, it's so funny. We've completely—my dad didn't talk about it, my grandfather. But I want to remember. And just think, who else talks about my great-grandfather? I don't—who talks about him? He's gone. His name is not even remembered. And so it's you know, a way to remember a, a name. There's a— PBS uh, show that my wife loves to watch. I've watched it with. It's called Finding Your Roots. Yeah. And it takes very famous people who don't know that much about their family. All different. It's a diverse group. They're actors, writers, uh, that kind of thing. And they find their, I mean, they have sophisticated way of doing it. They have the resources to do it. And when you see the reaction of People finding out things they never dreamed of. Uh, Jewish people finding out uh, stuff pre-Holocaust about themselves. Uh, African-Americans. Uh, there was an African-American who found out that their, their ancestors were slave owners. And they're, they're, they're shocked. You're kidding. Uh, no. You go, hey, people live their lives and everybody lives the way they live. And yeah. You, somebody finds out about it. There's criminals that they had in their heritage, very brilliant people, all kinds of different things. And it's it's amazing to when they interview them, some they're cry, sometimes they, they actually cry. Yeah. Uh, they cry with joy, they cry with sadness because stuff happens in families. But it's a very popular show. I think you're right. Americans, some of us at least, are becoming more interested than we ever were. Do you know what I noticed on on Facebook? Uh, they remember what you look at, and the an algorithm is built, and then all of a sudden you're seeing a lot of these videos of the same thing. A couple of a couple of years ago, I watched one guy slice up a tuna. You know, like it was like a <laughs> fish, like a, a beautiful tuna, like a big tuna, and he's showing you how he slices it up. Next thing you know, my feed is filled with Fishing. slicing up tuna. That's what it was, <laughs> just slicing up tuna. Well, the, a couple of weeks ago, I saw some guy, and he goes around and he um, cleans graves. 
and he tells the story of who this person is or as he's cl- I mean the thing is dirty disgusting it's and it could be going back 150 years or whatever and then he even will sometimes like settle the grave or make sure that it's built properly and if it's tilting over he'll level it and then he'll I put bet a, you he's gotten a lot of likes oh it, now all of a sudden a bunch of grave cleaners are in my Facebook feed <laughs> but he's recalling the name and I'm not saying that that's what the whole purpose of like this man thinks, oh, it's just to be remembered by your love and your name and and what you did. Uh, that that is one component. You want to be remembered. You want to have a good reputation. You want your name to live on, and you go, oh, I loved that guy. You know. Um, but at the same time, we believe in a hope, and the hope is the hope of resurrection, uh, which is what the scriptures teach about. I think you can have both. Steve. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, uh, in Judaism, at the year anniversary of the person's death. They say a prayer called Kaddish, mm-hmm. and Kaddish is a very important—it's it's universal amongst Jewish people. There are Jewish people uh, who say Kaddish who don't even believe in God, but they do it as a memory, as a way for that person to live on and try to pass it on. And so they will compromise, if you will, what their real beliefs are, that they don't believe in God and they don't believe in an afterlife, they don't believe in any of that— but they do believe in the tradition. That's how you get humanistic Jews, Chris. Humanistic Jews are those who say, "I don't, I don't even know if there's a God. I don't care if there's a God, but I do care about, I do care about community." Mm-hmm. And that's what you get. We've been reading some of these things for a moment, and certainly the thing that stands out is all these people care. All of them care, and the number one care they have is community. Because the Jewish people have been a minority for a long time. They've been persecuted, and their strength in identifying with one another. It's it's interesting. Very I don't agree with them, but it's interesting. Now, and it's good because you know, you you want a name that lives on in good reputation, uh, and because you want to be able to st- I, I think they go hand in hand. If people remember you of a man of good reputation, one day will stand before the Lord and be blameless. Uh, because of what Christ has done for well us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. Exactly, exactly. So uh, anyway, a little interesting component there of Jewish afterlife. But Steve, uh, I think it's a good time for us uh, to move into our study on Revelation. But you have something you want to share. I do, I do. As we start in, Je- in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, I think we can summarize it with one word, eternity. Uh We do believe in an afterlife. The Bible talks about an afterlife, and it talks about a good place and a bad place. And it gives—Jesus gave a lot of information about being separated from him. It's a place of torment, gnashing of teeth. It's not a pleasant place, and it's for those who reject the truth, those who turn away from the truth of the Word of God, reject Christ— are left on their own, will be alone, and separated from God. On the other hand, those that have received the truth, those that believe who Jesus is, uh, remember, Chris, this is the last book of the Bible, and so it complements Genesis. And the unique problem presented in Genesis, which is the fall of man in the garden, and the rest of the Bible is really a commentary on how God resolves that problem. He created man. He created man to have fellowship with him. Man decided not to, to disobey God. And tsurus after tsurus, difficulty after difficulty, but also love, mercy, uh, is demonstrated. 
And so uh, we have this book that we sell here at Friends of Israel. Uh, I've had the opportunity to minister with Mark Hitchcock. Uh, He wrote this great commentary called The End, and he takes eschatology from the beginning to the end. And so we're in chapters 21 and 22. It's a great, it's a great title. The end, the end, (laughs) it's the end of the story. And he tells a story. He, he is, was a Dallas grad. You were a Dallas grad. And so he tells the story of Dr. John Walverd at uh, airplane. Uh, John Walverd wrote many books on eschatology. And so it's kind of a humorous story as we come to this chapter. It says, Dr. John Walvard told me a story from many years ago. He was at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport with a man who was the managing editor of a Christian magazine titled Eternity. Chris, I'm old enough to remember. I remember that magazine, Eternity Magazine. While they were at the airport, they ran into a friend of Dr. Walvard. He introduced his friend to the editor. After the introduction and a handshake, the friend asked the man, what do you do? To which he responded, I manage Eternity. (laughs) Dr. Walvard's friend replied, boy, that must be a big job. <laughs> that, that is great. Eternity. What is eternity? Yeah. Chris, uh, uh, Mark Hitchcock says in the next line or in a new paragraph, eternity is a word that none of us can fully grasp, yet God is eternal and every person will live somewhere forever. That is. That is like the supreme statement. Uh, we're all going to, once you're born, you, your, your spirit will never die. It's where you're going to be. That just, once God made the decision to bring you here, you're here. We're not going away. You're not going away. The question is, what, and what happens with this fallen earth? Mm. Earth has fallen. There's trouble everywhere. Is, is, is eternity just the absence of time? That's a good definition, I, I think. Because there actually is, I was listening to an astrophysicist talk about the speed of light, and he said that at the speed of light, there is no time. So there is zero time. So w- what we think of as time in, in relationship to everything on Earth, and just think about how crazy time is, is that Everything that we base time off of is in relationship to the circumference of the Earth and how it goes, the speed that it goes around the sun. From, you know, the time that we wake up in the morning to the time that we die, the, w- the way that we calculate our years. We measure. We measure it by the, uh, the Earth in relationship to the sun and how fast it spins, all that stuff. But if you go out to Saturn or Jupiter or some of those distant planets, I, I think it takes 30 years or something to go around the sun once. And so yeah, two and a half years <laughs> old. <laughs> I saw that it was something. It said it's something that was the new year for Neptune or whatever the country, the, the the planet was. And I thought, oh, that's nice. I'm only ten, or I'm only whatever, you know, or or two, or whatever. So it. But time is a very interesting thing, and we measure it just based upon where we are in the universe and where God placed us providentially. But it's interesting that. Light has no, when it's traveling at that speed, there's no time. So does that mean it's eternal? Does that mean there's some eternal components to it? I I don't know. I'm not trying to, I'm not an astrophysicist. I'm just saying that there is an, when there's an absence of time, does that just mean it's eternal then? There's zero time. You don't think in terms. Well, you know, we we have the expression, your time is up. Yeah. Uh, You know, when we measure something. Well, 
in eternity, it's never up. It keeps it, going. It, it just it, it just is. And it's interesting that God is that way. He's eternal. Uh, he is. He is. And when we started the book of Revelation, we know he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the one who is, was, and is to come. Mm-hmm. So it's it's we are limited in our understanding. But what we're not limited to, he has at least answered the question of the problem of sin in Genesis 3. And ultimately, this is the place where the story ends. And then obviously preachers for years have said, this end is just the beginning. 100%. I, it's, a, it's a great way of wording it. But, but you can almost hopscotch over from Genesis chapter 3 or 2 all the way to Revelation chapter 20. If you hopscotch, there's a lot of similarities between... It's a happy story. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you just go from Genesis just, 2. Just go from Genesis 2 to Genesis to Revelation 21 and 22. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Everything's great. You know, it's it, it's an interesting picture. I, I, it's a lot like the Exodus story and what the Israelites did. You know, when you when the Garden of Eden was created, I believe it was meant to be eternal. I don't think that they didn't talk in terms of time, it seems like. And so the point of the garden, too, was that the garden was supposed to grow. You know, it was a small garden compared to the world. Things were barren outside of the garden. But inside the garden, a garden is supposed to grow. If it's not, then you're a bad farmer or you're bad bad when it comes to plants and whatnot. So the the goal was... God's one law, or one, there were two. The one was to be fruitful and multiply, and the other was don't eat that one tree. Tend the garden. Tend the garden and grow the garden. And it was supposed to grow, and I believe, occupy the whole planet that God had given mankind uh, to have dominion over. Um, and, of course, right away the, the, the fall happens. Adam and Eve disobey God and are banished from the garden. But we go—it's it's interesting is that you go from the garden to the city— in Revelation chapter 21, a new city is going to come down. And it's not just a tiny city amongst a barren planet. No, now it's coming down, and God is ruling over everything. He always has, but the whole earth is his. And it's the whole garden. It's a, basically the garden in the entire earth again, and the city is coming down. We, sh- we should read the text. Why don't you start off and read the first seven verses, Chris? It says in Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away, and he will wipe away te- uh, every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There's an undo. There's a, a lot happening here. A lot happening. So the first is this: God is coming down, and I can't stress this enough over and over again because we like to teach the Bible from a Jewish perspective. Heaven is not you going up to sit on a cloud and play your harp like a champ with a an halo, and and you know the image that you get from from mainstream media or movies or whatever. Heaven is actually going to be here on Earth. And if you notice, whenever God has been coming down to earth, it's not us leaving earth, it's that God will come down. God came down in 
during in the Garden of Eden. God came down into the tabernacle. God came down into the temple in the Old Testament. God came down into the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came down. That's what Philippians chapter 2 is all about, that Jesus left the heavenly places. Uh, but he thought about us more than he thought about his position with God, and he came down and 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 took on the likeness of man and the crumminess of the world and all of it. He became a servant even to the point of death, death on a cross, and in his obedience to, to the God, God exalted him and made his name above every name. Uh, and so there, there's Jesus came down, and now again we see the Holy Spirit came down, and now what? God is coming down. So the picture is God coming down, Steve, and not us just going up. And we we do go up to be with the Lord when we die, uh, as long as the Lord tarries. But there's a day coming when we will all come back down with him in our re- resurrected form. And that's the picture. Finally, God is coming down to his creation once and for all. And when he does, Chris, as you so well described, something happens uh, for man. Uh, in verse 4, things begin to positively happen that change the way man has been since the garden. Uh, it talks about wiping away every tear, no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, no more pain. Uh, all those things pass away. It's easy to read the words, but the consequences, just Think about that. Again, in in his book, it's very interesting, the nuns uh, that uh, that go away. Uh, because in, in this book, the, the N- nuns that go n- away? Nun, like the, N-O-N-E. Oh, I think not, like not a Catholic N-U-N. nun. No, no, no. <laughs> the nuns go away. <laughs> Mark Hitchcock says there are three things that will be there. First, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, God dwelling his people, which you talked about, and righteousness. But listen to, uh, there's a, a preacher, pretty well-known, named Steve Lawson, very mm-hmm. prominent person, and here's the list he gives. I, maybe you want to stop me when you think one is pretty cool to talk about, because you didn't know I was going to read this. There'll be no funeral homes, Chris, no hospitals, no abortion, no divorce courts, no brothels, no bankruptcy, no psychiatric wards, no treatment centers. No pornography, no dial-a-porn, no teen suicide, no AIDS, no cancer, mm. no talk shows. Chris, we're done. We're done. This is in our no spiritual. No more podcast. This is in our spiritual gift that goes uh, on into heaven. No, we're done. No rape. No missing children. No drug problems. No drive-by shootings. Mm. No racial tension. No prejudice. No misunderstandings. No injustice. No depression. No hurtful words. No gossip. No hurt feelings, no worry, no emptiness, no child abuse, no wars, no financial worries, no emotional heartaches, no physical pain, no spiritual flatness, no relational divisions, no murders, no uh, no casseroles? No casseroles? No casseroles. I don't know. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> First, no podcasts and now uh, no casseroles? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's no tears, <laughs> no suffering, no separation, no starvation. No arguments, no accidents, no emergency departments, no doctors, no nurses, no heart monitors, no rust, nor perplexing questions. Ah, that's an interest. God will be there. We'll know. We'll know. That's well, right. That uh, that's a that one is. I read it or it's underlined and it still hit me. <laughs> no perplex. I'm perplexed all the time. <laughs> that is great. No false teachers. Is anything okay? <laughs> 
<laughs> no financial shortages, no hurricanes, no bad habits, no decay, no locks. We will never need to confess sin. Mm. Is that locks, L-O-C-K-S or L-O-X? <laughs> L-O-C-K-S. Okay. Isn't that, a, that's an interesting list and there's probably more yeah but it's interesting this place is going to be a dynamic place um you know as you were going talking through all the places where god came down the examples in the tabernacle and uh with the lord jesus himself and in the garden it's interesting that the mystery within the confines of the text is the bride of christ the church we're the mystery of the whole we're going up. Mm -hmm. And not all people who ever were in the church are going up uh, in the rapture. Uh, absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Tonight on Equip, we're going to have our first uh, talk on church history, the heroes of church history. Those folks have been dead a long time, but their spirits, they're with Christ. Mm -hmm. They're with him. Uh, so the church will be raptured. There'll be a unique number of people, but in every other instance, he's coming down and that's a, and when he comes he's making by the way he's making a grand entrance mm -hmm. this is where the his heaven comes down jesus is coming we already talked about that in revelation 19 he came down in a body physical touchdown on the mount of olives all kinds of stuff happens as a result but in this case the new heaven the new earth jerusalem the new jerusalem comes down and some people say it, it Hovers. Are, it hovers the earth. It's Other people say, no, it touches down on the earth. And it has dimensions. Mm -hmm. It's a cube. Yeah. You know, you go back to the tabernacle. It was a perfect cube. Uh, they're two different sizes, as I recall, from the tabernacle to Solomon's. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this one is 1,500 miles cube. Mm -hmm. Now, Chris, do your geography of the United States. We're in New Jersey here. We go 1,500 miles straight west. Where are you? Ab about. Give me uh, give me an approximation. Uh, Colorado, maybe? or some, so, Somewhere around there, I would think. Uh, but then you got to go north. Uh, yep. You got to go, well, north being uh, That's from... That's Canada for sure. Yeah. So we we've got Canada and then so back again and how far <laughs> Think about the, if you're going west, east to west, let's say we're in Colorado. Somebody will tell us and what what's the number they text us with their correct measurement? Oh, 424-444-1948. That's right. That's the that's the number to text us how crazy we are. But about 1500 miles and it's 1500 miles up. Yep. So if you drew from uh, south to north uh, in the United States and then propped it up, you're talking from, I don't know, Minnesota down to... You keep going. <laughs> uh, uh, Texas? It goes uh, on, yeah. yeah I, so this cube, and that's only the flat part. It's, it's high up. There's a lot of things you can fit in that cube. Yeah, it, and what we'll see as we continue to study, too, is that there's a reason for this new Jerusalem, and there's a reason for the new heavens and new earth as we continue to study. Um, but, Steve, I want to say this is different than the millennial kingdom. This 100%. This is when finally Satan is dealt with once and for all. At the end of Revelation chapter 20, he's thrown into the lake of fire. 
Um, there's no more Satan to deceive the nations, and that's really important to understand as well. So as we come into the new heavens and new earth, that's a different time period, a different dispensation yep. um, that we move into where God's presence is coming down to earth. Jesus reigned in the millennial kingdom. All things are handed over to him, but ultimately now God's presence is coming down. Okay, Chris, is it all burned up or is it fixed up? Oh, yeah, this is a great question. This is the question that that evangelicals have been asking a long time. Yeah, I see. I am more, it's, it's, I think in the same way we're resurrected. Uh, I think all of God's creation is resurrected. I think Paul in Romans chapter 8 is arguing that all of creation is longing uh, for uh, redemption. And um, and in redemption, it means almost like a resurrection. Uh, but I do think that the earth is burned in judgment, but then it gives way to God's glorious resurrection and the ability to redeem everything. I know there are some people who think the whole earth blows up and a whole new thing is created. I don't believe that. I think God redeems his creation. Yeah, there's the recreated people and there's the reconstituted people. Yep. Yeah, and no. I, I, either way, it's looking good for believers. Yeah. <laughs> Well, listen, we're going to continue our study uh, next week as we wrap up Revelation. Um, we've been going through Revelation for a long we time. We have been doing it a long time, but and our people are patient with us. They this. are very patient. Thank you so much. Hey, listen, uh, we Steve, can, before we get to the news, we've received some great texts from people. <laughs> uh, Hilarious ones. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, let me get it up here. First of all, um, people have been commenting on what we should do for our hundredth anniversary, or our hundredth anniversary, our hundredth episode. Yeah, that's coming up pretty quick. What what number is this one, Chris? This is ninety three. This is episode ninety three. So we got seven left. But area code nine hundred four writes, "Oy vey, gentlemen, bada bing, bada boom, mug on a mug, one hundred percent, one hundredth episode should be in Yiddish with subtitles, perfect for radio or." I like this one, Steve. Chris eats gefilte fish, and Steve eats scrapple. Zygazoon, <laughs> you two menches. Uh, that guy <laughs> captured, or gal, captured all of it. That, he did a fantastic Especially job. the bada-boom, bada-bing. That's right. Area code 508 writes, Boker Tov, Chris. That means good morning, Chris. For a mug on a mug, you need two types. Uh, with uh, One with only your uh, each of you having a face on one mug. Uh, and and then co- competition to see whose face sells oh, more. Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. You would you would win in a heartbeat. Uh, I don't think heartbeat. so. No, the Gentile guy he gets the most press. All right. Um, this one comes from our good friends uh, at in the area code eight five six who writes suggestion for the hundredth podcast episode. Both moms on the show at the same time. Uh, oh. <laughs> Talk about Meshugana. Yeah, and then somehow Dan Price. Michelle and Blanche oh. on the same. M- Michelle Katolka and Blanche Herzig. Ay, ay, ay. That would be amazing. It would be amazing. Uh, both moms on the show at the same time. Interviewed by, I like this one. We're not even on this. Dan Price. <laughs> <laughs> are they asking us to leave? I don't know. <laughs> for they, the 100th episode, Chris and Steve, you're done. Bring Dan in and interview your two moms. Get get done with it. Okay? His, his course on the tabernacle must have been so good. They're requesting a, a, him to come back. <laughs> I love it. That one was from our good friends uh, um, Liz and Glenn um, in the area. Uh, that's We've gotten a bunch more. Uh, uh, people who like Mahjong have been writing in. People who like the podcast. Hey, keep texting us. What at about four- a mug on a mug? We've heard a few people. We gotta, we gotta, we're working on it. Our, our update on mug on a mug, we think we have a place that could make them for us. That's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> we're slowly creeping along here, you know. <laughs> they're, they're, the, our listeners are going, these guys, they just found a place? What's going on, you know? It takes us a little <laughs> while. And actually, we're working with uh, one of our staff people who's an avid listener. He actually was probably listener number one. I'm not sure. Yes. But um, he was. And he's the one telling us about it. So now we got to... We got to keep moving. We want to have a mug on a mug available. Mug on a mug. Let us know what you think about the mug on a mug. You can text us at 424-444-1948. Also, if you have an idea for our 100th episode, not our 100th anniversary, our 100th episode, 424-444-1948. Steve, we should be saying that number up front because I'm sure all of our listeners have, by this point, dropped the podcast you know what they're and moved saying? on. Yeah, that's right. We're out of here. <laughs> all right, Steve, let's talk about the news. Okay. Uh, the first one I think we should talk about is Janine. Oh, big time. I think we should. There's an article, but there's numerous articles. Those who are listening who, are, who really are friends of Israel already know that the, uh, the uh, operation that they had into Janine is all already over. Uh, but it's extensive. And Chris, you know, we have uh, people on the ground in Israel uh, who share with us on a weekly basis and so we knew as much as a month ago that Israel was going to have to do something. The, the terrorist uh, location in Janine is very, very close to the airport in Israel. It's very close to Jewish high populations of Jewish people because it's Judea Samaria. And so we were told a while ago by our friends there that something was going to happen. And indeed, uh, it did and Israel sent in between 1,000 and 2,000 people, but first they sent in drones. But they, Chris, they knew exactly where the bad people were. Yep. Exactly. This is a high population area. They weren't randomly coming in with tanks and shooting missiles everywhere. Um, but by the way, they had the capability. If they wanted to blow up the whole West Bank, they have the military capability of doing that. But that's not what they're interested in. They're interested in peace, and they're interested in security for their people. So we were told drones who they knew exactly where to fly these drones, and they knew exactly where to hit. And so the people who died uh, who were Palestinians. So when you read about the number of Palestinian deaths from an Israeli point of view, and we would agree, these were militant Palestinians. These were ones who were attacking Israel, who want to attack Israel, who are acquiring uh, all kinds of weaponry uh, and explosives. And so Israel first came in with drones, then they came in with their soldiers, and they came in with bulldozers, because, Chris, I never heard of this before until this. They were actually booby-trapping asphalt roads, regular highways. Like, people have highways. I don't know how you hide IUDs in there. Uh, I don't know what you do, but... They were coming in with bulldozers, and the road's exploding. The, it, it, mm -hmm. And these bulldozers are designed to protect people behind it, uh, but it they just tore up roads in order to bring security to that area. You know, it should be noted that, that the article that we posted that you can read comes from The Guardian, and The Guardian isn't the most— um, 
uh, I don't even want to use the word pro-Israel. It's definitely not. Uh, it, it's journalism slants toward uh, toward the Palestinians, hundred um, percent. And so when you read that, just keep that keep that in mind. But it's good information that comes from the Guardian. But it should be noted. We got this early on, and that's why we cop. What happens when we find news? You and I shift it back and forth, and we text it, and we leave it there till the time of the uh, of the podcast. Uh, they could go to the Jerusalem Post, to Israel News, to all Israel News. They could go to a lot of different sources. But this article, that when I read it at first, it, it doesn't label things exactly the way I would, but it's telling you exactly what's happening. The, the thing that, I, again, it always—this is the bad thing about journalism when it comes to Israel, is that it, they make it seem like this is something that just popped up out of the blue, and now Israel's going into Janine. Number one, Janine is the farthest most, most um, Palestinian territory in the West Bank. It's up in northern Samaria. So it's isolated from a lot of the other Palestinian territories like Bethlehem and and Nablus and um, uh, Ramallah, which is where the capital of the Palestinian territories is. So it's isolated. Number two, Janine has been a problem for terrorism for a long, long time. It's not th this is a brewing issue where terrorism, uh, it, the, the Palestinian Authority who controls all of those territories has lost control over Janine. Janine is a breeding ground for terrorism. Uh, since the beginning of the new year, or, or since the beginning of 2023, more than 30 Israelis have been killed by terrorism coming out of the West Bank, which is prim primarily in Janine. So again, when, when all of a sudden the Guardian starts writing about this uh, incursion that's going on, um, with the Israelis going into the West Bank and going into Janine, um, and it's the biggest one they've, they've had in the last since 20 years. 20 years, yep. Since 2002 with Ariel Sharon. You know, they're missing the backstory. And the backstory is this, is that terrorism is brewing in the West Bank, and they cannot have that happen. Because, see, at least the Gaza, at least Gaza is down south. It borders Egypt. It's in the farmlands. It's still not good, but at least it's contained for the Israelis. The West Bank, like you said, Steve, I mean, we're talking about a few miles can make or break the distance between Janine and a Jewish town or the airport and the, you know, we're talking just about a few miles here. Chris, where'd they find all those weapons? That's the other thing. Religion has to do with this as well and respect for religion, where'd they find all the stuff? They're mosques and I'm, I'm sure in homes, and and that's the typical routine. They don't have them in military, you know. No, nope. they don't. The Palestinians they hide them in mosques. Yeah, that's right. And it's it's bad. But bad. the point though too is Steve is that the Palestinian Authority has lost control of Janine, and who is in control of the Palestinian Authority? It's the President Mahmoud Abbas. Mahmoud Abbas is something in his 80s. Steve, he's in his 80s. Uh, I think he might have That's, more wits than Biden, but uh, uh, that'd be a race, wouldn't it? it, it what, what is it saying about our culture? Oh, we 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 have these old people. Now, look, I'm old, but they are they are in charge of all kinds of very important military, etc. So we got Joe Biden. He's eighty. We got uh, Mahmoud Abbas. He's eighty. Mahmoud Abbas is going on. He was supposed to have a four-year term. What's he's going on? Year, year twelve. Year eighteen. Eighteen. But here's the thing, Steve: is that you don't want Mahmoud Abbas to leave. If there's a Palestinian territories, because he's moderate, he's quote unquote moderate. But because here's the reality: if there is a vote, because the Palestinians do want to vote. If there is a vote, 
The Palestinian Authority gets kicked out and Hamas moves in yep. into the West Bank. You don't want that. That's why this Janine situation is very strategic for Israel right now. Well, Chris, so that's Janine. And, and you know, there is a command in the scripture to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, we know the implication of that eschatologically, and that, of course, is even so come Lord Jesus. But uh, as we think of peace and praying for them, I hope uh, our listeners will be praying for Israel on a regular basis and for wisdom, uh, because there's a great respect for life and respect for religion on the part of Israel. They don't like doing what they're doing, but in order to keep peace and to keep security of its people, they have to do these kinds of things. I got to tell you, Chris, I have two boys, you have uh, three boys, and if we were in Israel— my two boys uh, would have already been done with their service. Yours you would have to look forward to. And it's always the, the, the heartache of every Israeli parent. Mm-hmm. On one, we just celebrated July 4th here in the United States. Uh, it, 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 there's a, you're proud of your country, and you're especially proud when your country does good things mm-hmm. to protect its citizens. Um, and so... Every Israeli parent is proud, nachas. We had that Yiddish word. Oh, they have nachas. My my sons, you know, they, they've committed to the country, but at the same time, fear, mm-hmm. ab- terror, because they know that when their sons and their daughters turn 18, they have to turn them over to the military. Yep. And here's an example. Those 1,000 to 2,000 troops were mostly 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old soldiers. That's right. And uh, they believe only one in this uh, incursion was killed, and they actually believe it was by friendly fire. Oh, really? Friendly fire. I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, So they were able to keep keep things low on both sides. Uh, We're talking about only a few. Look, any life lost is too many, but they were going after military targets, who were targeting Israelis. Mm-hmm. So it's just a different—it's different, Chris. It's hard, I think, if you're living in that area. It's a hard life. Yeah. Well, you know, we're moving from the anti-Semitism that's happening in Israel, but the anti-Semitism isn't just in Israel. It's all around the and world. And it could even be by Jewish people. <laughs> Here's USA Today. Rock, uh, Roseanne Barr's Holocaust denial, a call for violence against Jews— is an unpardonable sin. This is by Stephen Gimbel and uh, Gwendolyn Suleban. Man, you really had to work hard on that one. That's Gwendolyn, a tough one. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, this was July 5th, USA Today, and they're talking—we uh, talked about it last week, Yeah, Chris. because the, the point—you know, one of the things that we had mentioned, and they say this in the subtitle here, even if we give Roseanne Barr the benefit of the doubt, her comments still offer— cover for further hate speech and violence. And we had mentioned that, you know, uh, even the podcast host who was hosting Roseanne Barr when she said these comments about the Holocaust and Jewish people, even though she's Jewish herself, was done in uh, in jest to prove a point that she was trying to make. But even so, they're saying it's still not good to do this because it only uh, uh, it only intensifies potential violence against Jewish people. 100%. And in this article, it talks about what we've talked about, Chris, uh, the the number one hate crime in the U.S. is anti-Semitism. Yep. It's, it, it's documented. And so here in this article, it talks about 
Mobs chanting, Jews will not replace us. That was in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017. Anti-Semitic terrorists killed 11 people, wounded six at the Tree of Life Synagogue in 2018. The Anti-Defamation League recently reported that more hate crimes aimed at Jews are occurring now than any other time in the past half century. And so uh, we want to make it known here at uh, our podcast, The Jew and the Gentile, as we're with Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, our ministry was founded to fight anti-Semitism, and the best way they knew how to do that at that time, starting in 1938, uh, was to help the Jewish people and keep them alive and help them in any way they could. And so those that were coming to this country, they helped with uh, apartments and furniture, and they sent money. Chris, if there was a time our organization was sending money to Europe mm-hmm. to physically help Jewish people by giving them dollars in their hand until, of course, that was no longer possible. But uh, anti-Semitism, a major problem. Well, and, you know, I like what they say here, too. Having a microphone comes with an obligation. And, Steve, that's for me and you and anybody who has a podcast microphone or a radio or a TV, whatever it is, that a microphone comes with an obligation um, and uh, as 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 Bible believing Christians, uh, it's our goal to make sure that Christians understand God's love for His people. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Uh, that's Genesis twelve three, uh, 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 Romans one sixteen. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The fact that God loves Jewish people and and all of the world, but He 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 specifically calls out His own people. He has shown a love for them. Throughout history, you and know, we want to. You know, Israel's the only country chosen by God. Yeah, exactly. That's an amazing. Think about that. Yeah, uh, we're in the United States. We love the United States, but and I believe God sovereignly raised us up for a purpose. But there's nothing in the Bible about the United States. It's Israel. It's Israel focused. That's right, and that's why we want to use our microphone for that reason. But Chris, you found this one, I think. Uh, From the Los Angeles Times, why don't you read it? Yeah, United Methodist congregations are trying to leave amid uh, amid LGBTQ plus schism and says they're being held for ransom. Glenn Haworth is a lead pastor of The Fount, a Methodist church in Fountain Valley in California. The small congregation is one of 22 Southern uh, California churches attempting to cut ties with the Methodist denomination in a process called disaffiliation. And uh, they're running into a problem doing that, but this is a pro- This is an issue that I th- is is in the church right now, Steve, and especially in in churches that are a part of dioceses or, or or not dioceses, but in uh, in these I don't know what you call them uh, affiliations. Um, uh, that you know they they once the the council of these affiliate affiliate churches make a decision, it trickles down to all the churches, and some churches are having issues. Uh, with the LGBTQ+, and they want to remove themselves from the affiliation because of the inclusion of, uh, of, of either maybe the marriages that take place or, you know, um, including them in church membership, things of that nature. Really moving away from what the text says. That's exactly That's right. That's really their argument. They're, they're going to their headquarters and saying, this does, your decisions aren't matching up with what we're reading in the text. And as a result... Oh, there's finances attached to this, Chris. Big time. There's a lot because there's a lot of property. There's a lot of money. All of that stuff. But you know, um, 
It's funny. He says this. I like this. He says the small congregation of the fount began considering the option shortly of 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 separating shortly after the Western jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church, which is the California Pacific Conference is part of, proclaimed that their region was a quote safe harbor for clergy who identify as members of the LGBTQ plus community. Said Glenn Haworth, the fount's lead pastor. He says this. It's the Bible that we disagree on. Haworth said during an interview on June 19th, and the progressive end of the church wants to basically negate all of the teaching, uh, all of the teaching of the Bible that have to do with sexual morality. This, Steve, to me, this is it. You know, so I've said this before on the podcast. Sometimes as the church, we can try to fix the culture. And we're trying to fix the culture. And the culture to me is a sinking ship. You know, you're trying to plug up a sinking ship uh, when really we should be focused on the church. And, uh, you know, the culture is going to do what the culture is going to do. Um, but the church is something that when you do read the scriptures, something that was meant to, if when you go back to Jewish identity in the Old Testament, there were, sexu- there were sexual ethics in the Old Testament that defined how uh, a man should relate with a woman or, and what not to do. You know, you can read all about that in, in the Old Testament. And just when you think, oh, but that's the Old Testament. No, in the early church, at the very first church council, uh, in Acts chapter 15, the apostles define the way that Gentiles were supposed to enter into the church. And it wasn't just, oh, they don't have to be circumcised, they're fine. He goes, no, there's actually two things that Gentiles need to do in order to maintain good standing in the church. Number one, they can't eat blood that or meat that was, uh, you know, with blood and all that. Um, the other is that they have to uh, abstain from sexual immorality. So sexual ethics do drive the way that the church identifies itself, a Christian identifies himself or herself to the world. And so it does matter. And I, I, I agree with what this pastor is saying here. It's not that we—the thing we're disagreeing on is the Bible and the way that the Bible teaches about how a Christian should live in light of who God is and our walk with the Lord. So it's very interesting because it's I think very we're, we're trying to fight the culture, but really it's in the church now, and it does come down to what the Scriptures teach. You just can't ignore it. News, news, news. So now we got some music. Oh, we do. The music is this. That's right. Yiddish word of the day, you know, everybody. You, we we prepare so diligently. We were like two minutes before we started, and we're trying to find a Yiddish word of the day, and you came up with this one. That's right. You have it written down, don't I do. you? It's a, you ready? Why don't you say it, Steve? It's called Ratva. 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 R-O-T-T-A-V-E-H. It's to save or to rescue, which is exactly what's accomplished in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. God, It's the end of the story, as Mark Hitchcock tells us, and it, the story at the end is God rescuing, saving mm-hmm. his people, planet Earth. He's going to make it all right. That is the reason, and the reason I love the word ratava because it has to do with saving and rescuing, which was what happened on the cross. Saving and rescuing happened on the cross so that we can enjoy the inheritance. Eternity. That's right. Which we don't even know what it is. (laughs) But we're going to enjoy it. (laughs) 
even though we're not an astrophysicist. You know, it's so funny, Steve. There are so many words in, in Yiddish, the shlamils and the shlamazels and the, you know, it's, uh, what did you say that there's no word for thank you in, in, in Yiddish? It's almost like uh, uh, fat, you know? <laughs> But here is a positive Yiddish word, Ratava, to rescue somebody. And to rescue. To save. To Amen. Save. I like it. Well, everybody, thank you so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile What's podcast. What's that number again oh. to text us? Oh, mug on a mug. Mug on a mug, 424-444-1948. Not only let us know if you want a mug, but let us know what we should do for our 100th episode. And also, if you have any questions for Steve or comments for Steve. Hey, look. I got a little bobblehead. <laughs> He's got his bobblehead. And we're going to be waiting for Chris's, so we'll have the Jew and the Gentile bobblehead. Oh, there's so much going on. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. Don't forget to register for the class tonight, or you can register for the class next week or the following week for Tim's class. FOIequip.org. I'm going to leave it at that. Have a great week. <laughs>